This is Kaylee at Stride, and today I'm going to sit down with my sister, Lindsay Flanagan. Lindsay grew up in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. She made a name for herself early on in the sport by becoming an Illinois cross-country state champion. She went on to attend college at the University of Washington, where she became an All-American in the 10K. She is a sub-230 marathoner who lives and trains in Boulder, Colorado. In this episode, we're going to talk about her amazing ninth place finish at the 2019 Boston Marathon. She ran 2.30, which placed her in the top 10 at a World Marathon Major. She now has the Olympic Marathon Standard, and we're going to discuss what her training was like leading up to it. So let's get started. All right, Lindsay, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about like how you got into the sport? Yeah, um, I'm excited to be here. I love everyone, what you guys are doing at Stride. Um, yeah, it's kind of, uh, I took kind of a different path to kind of get into the sport. I um, actually swam from ages probably 5 to 16 and um, always have been a swimmer. My brothers, you know, have been a swimmer. And uh, it was just something we all did. And I did a cross-country camp when I was still in like the eighth grade I had a friend that wanted me to do it and uh, so I did this summer camp just for fun and um, by the time I got to high school I swam my freshman year but the coach actually remembered me from the summer camp uh, two years prior and he came to my classroom and asked me if I would run indoor track and I kind of laughed because I had no no desire to run an indoor track. I had uh, my club swim team, but he convinced me. And um, I remember, you know, running my first indoor race and winning it. It was an 800. I ran a 235. And I was, you know, everyone made me feel like I was some superstar. And I was like, what the heck? Like, what is this running thing? How, how am I like already better at this than I am at swimming? So, I did track uh, my freshman year, and I made it to state, and after that, the coach sat me down and told me that I could be a really good cross-country runner, and uh, I guess I believed him because then I kind of threw the swimming out the window and have been running ever since. Yeah, and we were just talking the other day how um, we were so new to running when we first started that we were running in shoes that were <laughs> two times too big for us or just like we just didn't know anything really about. It's just funny looking back on it because it's something we probably want to do now. But um, yeah, so then you won state, you won cross country state, and then you decided like, oh, I want to run in college. Like, how did you decide what you wanted to do, where you wanted to go? Yeah, I um, I ran, you know, all four years of, of high, high school after that freshman year, and I won the indoor, we did indoor track, so I won the indoor track meet like a few times in the two mile, and I won the cross country state meet my senior year, and I think that that kind of got me some recognition, and uh, I was being contacted by colleges, and obviously, you know, no one else in my family yet had, you know, done the whole recruiting thing. So it was this totally new thing. And there was coaches calling every day. And, you know, we're still using the landline. <laughs> and I, I would like panic when they called and I would just let it go to voicemail because I just didn't know. I was just, you know, totally new to this. And um, 
but yeah, I took visits to Washington. That was my first visit. Um, Arizona State, Minnesota, and maybe there's only three. I think I was going to go to Stanford, and then I called that one off because after I visited UW, I knew I wanted to go there. So visited UW. I liked the team. Um, you know, I liked the coaches. Uh, Kelly Strong was the assistant coach uh, who recruited me, actually, and she was fantastic. So I was sold after that first visit and really didn't even need to go on the other ones, but did take two more just to make sure that things were right. Yeah. And then, um, so you had a great, obviously, collegiate career, but really it came down to your fifth year senior. You took a fifth year at UW and you made it to NCAAs in track and field for the first time, made it in the 10K. What was it like standing on Hayward Field? And were you thinking in your mind at all, like, I want to continue running after this, or like, this is something that I'm super passionate about? What, were, what was going through your mind? Yeah, I mean, it took me five years to get to that meet. So even though I didn't do as well as I would have liked to at that meet, I think just getting there was pretty big for me. And going into that meet, I had already spoke to a few uh, coaches, post-collegiate coaches, who were actually going to be at the meet. So there, I guess there was a little bit of added pressure just because, you know, there's people there that are watching you and you want to you wanna do well. So... Yeah, I mean, it was exciting, and I had run at Hayward a lot before that, uh, you know, Pac-12s and other smaller races, just being close to Hayward. We were there pretty often, but it was it was pretty exciting, and um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of my goal all through college, and it finally kind of came true the last year, so I can't really ask for anything more than that. Yeah, and then after you graduated from UW, you moved to DC. So what was the transition like from collegiate running to now you're a professional runner? Yeah, I think coming out of college, a lot of people underestimate how difficult that transition is going to be. You know, I think for me, at least I graduated. um, Well, I guess I graduated in March of my fifth year, I was just working uh, my fifth year, my like in that track season. But Pretty much right as soon as track was done, I moved out of Seattle. I went home for, you know, a week or two, and I was in D.C. by the end of July. So it was a really quick turnaround. And um, I'm not going to lie, it was really hard for me. I think you go from this, you know, team, you're in this environment where everything's kind of taken care of for you and you're like coddled a little bit. And you structured. Have, yeah, it's incredibly structured. Like your whole day, like, you know, I'm going to go to practice. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to go to bed. And, you know, that was life for five years. And right after that, I moved somewhere totally new. I actually had never even visited the East Coast ever really before I even moved out to D.C. So I think I was just thrown in this to this totally new environment. Like I came from Seattle, which is, if anyone's been there, it is incredibly laid back and it's just a really different life. And then I moved to DC, which is, you know, it's pretty intense. You're in like political center of the United States. And I wasn't exactly living, you know, the typical young adult lifestyle. If you are 
you know, living in D.C., everybody there is like young professionals. They're working. They're having fun. They're going out on the weekends. And I think that was hard for me because I wasn't really even able to make friends or meet anybody because that just wasn't my lifestyle. You know, my lifestyle was getting up at 4.30 normally three days a week to like sit in traffic, sit in traffic to go run. And, um, you know, because it's brutally hot there in the summers and you just had to do that. So I definitely had a a hard time adjusting. I think it took me probably about a year to, to kind of adjust, but I'll always be incredibly grateful for that experience because, I mean, not many kids right out of college have like you know, funding and like a a group that takes them in and it can be really difficult. So I, I honestly can't imagine graduating, trying to get a job, trying to run. It just, it would have been a disaster. So having that structure and I think, you know, having a coach that believed in me and kind of got me, you know, right out of college, I was able to make some really big improvements. So I'll always give him a lot of credit to that. And, um, yeah, I just think my biggest piece of advice for people graduating is always just like, don't, like, don't uh, throw yourself into this crazy new experience thinking that like everything is going to go like according to a plan because nothing ever really goes according to plan. (laughs) You don't have to have it figured out as soon as you graduate. No, you don't. And honestly, I'm 28 and I feel like I'm still (laughs) figuring it out. I've moved like all around the country, like, you know, several times, but, uh, But yeah, it just, it takes time to figure it out. Yeah. And then when you were in DC, you were sponsored by Mizuno. Yeah. I, um, I was really lucky right out of college, uh, in 2014, I signed with Mizuno and that went all the way through the end of 2016. So I had, um, support for two and a half years, which was really, really beneficial at that time. Yeah. I mean, definitely helpful. I mean, you're a two-time Olympic trials qualifier, both in the marathon and in the 10,000 meters. Um, also, you went to the 2015 Pan American Games. You're a silver medalist. Congrats. But um, what was it like wearing, like, the USA jersey and just wearing USA on your chest and representing your country? Yeah, the first time I represented the U.S. was in 2015 at the Pan American Games. And it was kind of funny. I had run the Houston Marathon in January that year and wasn't planning on doing another marathon. I was only 23 when I ran my first marathon. So I was such a baby. So young. I'm so far behind. (laughs) No, I, I, my biggest piece of advice, everyone just wait to do your first, you don't need to do it when you're 23. But anyways, uh, yeah, I ran my first marathon in January and we weren't planning on running another marathon until probably the trials because this was in 2015. But, um, I was contacted at the end of May by USATF and they asked if I wanted to run the marathon at the Pan American Games. And at the time I had just been running 10Ks. I even jumped on the track and ran a Peyton Jordan. That's still my PR from 2015. And uh, I was a little nervous because they contacted me in May and the race was the first week of July. So there wasn't really like a marathon buildup per se because there just wasn't time but you know I think being young I didn't know when I would get that opportunity again and luckily I did but at the time I didn't know I was going to so um, I agreed to do the Pan Am Games which to this day after having run Boston and a host of other marathons I will still always say that 
that is the hardest race I have ever had to run. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea what to expect going into it. And it was about, I want to say the race started at 7 a.m. And it was already 75 degrees, 100% humidity in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And we did this outrageous loop that uh, it was four 10K loops with a baby add-on in the beginning. But you just like were running in the heat, like the sun is beating down and you would go into this park and climb this like, I was probably like a mile and a half long hill and do this crazy hair point hairpin turn run down the hill and you're going to do that six times and I remember driving the course the day before and the hill was so steep the bus couldn't even get up like the hill and I I was like oh my gosh like how am I going to do this I've only run one marathon it was in Houston it was pancake flat the best weather I've ever had in a marathon to this day it was about maybe not even 40 degrees at the start and zero wind. Um, so coming off of that, how do you even, how do you even compare the conditions or yeah. anything? It was completely different, but, but I survived and I actually, I came in third, which was super exciting for just the circumstances and everything. But, uh, I found, I got a call. I want to say, it had to have been like two months after the race, the winner actually tested positive uh, for a diuretic that was like masking something else. So then I got upgraded to the silver. So I guess, yeah, yeah, silver medalist. Silver medalist. (laughs) I mean, I remember watching you run that race and all of us Flanagan's were just standing in a little huddle like, oh no, like look at that hill. (laughs) Like That had to have been brutal. But I mean, you powered through and look at where it got you. So, so great. But so you ran the 2015 Pan American Games. That was your second marathon? That was my second marathon. And then how many marathons have you done so far? So after the Pan American Games, um... I had some pretty bad injuries for the rest of 2015. I didn't race the rest of the year, and the trials were in February. So I actually spent, like, all summer dealing with, like, plantar fasciitis, and it was the first time I had ever dealt with an injury ever in my life, and I don't think I handled it well. (laughs) Just being young and just never having that happen before, I, you know, was beside myself, and so yeah, I had to take off quite a bit of time and then um, went to Albuquerque for the first time actually to train at altitude before the trials. And I was there for about two months and I ran the Olympic trials uh, marathon and uh, wasn't my day, we'll just say that. Um, and uh, after LA. that race, um, I had actually qualified for the 10K trials on the track. So Um, you know, I took my downtime, I went to Mexico and kind of got back into the swing of training. I ran the U S half champs in May. And I remember running that race and all of a sudden, like something like felt really weird in my, my foot. And I didn't really think anything of it, but then like two days later I couldn't walk. And I was like, well, this is, this is strange. Like this has never happened before. This isn't this is in plantar fasciitis. It's like, I can't walk. So I got an MRI and actually had a fracture in my foot. And that was the first time again, like ever had like a bone injury before. Again, didn't handle it well. Um, Still like young and just, yeah, I didn't deal with that well, but I still wanted to run the trials on the track. So 
I, um, I cross trained a lot and started running probably the last week of June and mm-hmm. the trials were actually on 4th of July. So, um, got a few runs in and ran the Olympic trials on the track. What did your cross training look like? Like, how do you stay fit enough to then go run at the Olympic trials? Yeah. I mean, I was cross training like two to three hours a day. Um, it was really brutal. I, I won't lie. It was a lot of swimming workouts, which luckily I have that background. So like for me to get in the pool and like do a swim workout, it's totally different than someone who's never swam before because I actually can get like a really hard workout and it's not fun, but I'll do it. Um, and there was aqua jogging, there was biking, um, the elliptigo kind of had just come out as this awesome new cross training tool. So we actually got one of those and, uh, it was, it was a lot of cross training. It was. Yeah. But I mean, you made it work. You ended up running the trials and I mean chalk up for experience so being out there and then hopefully I mean you already have the Olympic trials standard for uh this next coming go around so we'll see you out then for marathon in the fall I decided that probably in you know July so I knew that that was kind of the big goal um so you know started training for that and like again was dealing with like a lot of you know, foot problems, I think, after the fracture and the plantar fasciitis, there was just like so many things I was dealing with that uh, before Frankfurt, I had to take off, you know, another probably four weeks. So I only really got like a six week buildup, but um, was again able to like cross train and just kind of power through. And uh, I had a huge breakout race. Um, I ran like a four minute PR in the marathon and I broke 230 for the first time. I think I ran 229.28. So that was, that was pretty big for me. Um, and then after that, my Mizuno contract was up and I actually signed with uh, Nike for 2017. And 2017, I ran the Boston Marathon for the mm-hmm. first time. Um, I was 11th and I think I ran like almost 235. I just think I totally underestimated um that first 10k downhill and I think I didn't like callous my quads probably the way I needed to uh to actually be able to run that 10k downhill and then actually perform the rest of the race so I ran Boston and then I ran uh the world championships um in London that year as well and uh that was kind of the theme of, you know, 2016, 2017, it was just rough. I, I had another injury going into the world championships and kind of wasn't able to run until the Wednesday of the actual race. So it was mentally really challenging, but I think you learn a lot about yourself. Just, you know, you have to be positive and you have to just believe that maybe you didn't get to prepare the way you wanted to, but, um, you know, you're going to go out there and do your best. Yeah, and I mean, you ran at the World Championships, and you only ran how many days beforehand? Four days beforehand I was started, your first run before you ran a marathon? Yeah, I started on Wednesday, um, and I knew I would probably be fine at least halfway. I mean, anyone can probably, like, anyone can, like, muscle through a half and just, like, you know, run average. But the last 10K, I think I had, like, some eight, nine-minute miles. I mean, but at least I finished and I got to, you know, 
have that experience, which is something pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, being able to wear USA on your chest once again, represent the USA is always something to something to be proud of, regardless of how it ends up going. But yeah, and uh, after that race, I swore off the marathon. I said I was done. I was like, I am not. I'm not going to run another marathon until I'm 100 percent healthy and I can break 230. I had run almost 240 in that race, and that was just kind of heartbreaking. So. Um, I told myself that I'm just not going to do another one until I can actually perform the way I want to. And that actually, I took a year away from, over a year away from marathoning. And I ran Frankfurt, actually last October, um, and ran 229.25, which for me was huge because it was just that, you know, the comeback and being able to actually like fulfill my goal of like not running a marathon until I could actually like perform at like the level I needed to again. So yeah, it's been a crazy journey. Yeah. So after 2017, you said that you needed to like take some time away from the marathon, but in general, how did you just like, what happened after, um, worlds? Like you needed to obviously recover because the body he just ran 26 miles off three days of running so um, obviously need to recover but then you had moved out to Colorado so can you tell us a little bit about that yeah um, in 2017 um, before Boston I actually had moved to Colorado Springs and I was just still working remotely with my coach from DC but um, we just thought it'd be beneficial to train at altitude I always wanted to to train um, you know, at elevation. And I, we just kind of randomly decided on Colorado Springs. So I packed up the car and I moved out there. And prior to the world championships, um, my teammate at the time, Serena Burla was coming to Boulder to train because her fam, she had family out here. And I thought, well, it's silly for us to train like an hour apart. I'm just going to, I'm going to move to Boulder for the summer. So I came to Boulder for the summer and kind of fell in love with it. And after that race in uh, 20, uh, the world championships, I thought about going back to Colorado Springs cause you know, I've only been in Boulder for a few months, but, um, no, I thought I decided Boulder was the place and I've been here since then. Yeah. And so who are you working with now? Like who, who is your coach now? Yeah. At the end, after the world championships, I, uh, parted ways with, uh, my old coach. We still have a really good relationship. I still see him at races and, you know, he, gets a lot of credit for like helping my career take off because um yeah I'll just always be so grateful so we parted ways at the end of the world championships and obviously I had been dealing with a host of injuries so I actually didn't reach out to my current coach uh Steve Magnus until uh, I want to say March of 2018 mm-hmm. so I just needed to get to the point where I could be healthy and run and, you know, just figure out these injuries. I got a lot of, like, biomechanic work, like, you know, people analyzing my form and trying to figure out, like, why the heck, like, it was always, like, this one foot, like, this reoccurring, like, issue, which just, like, doesn't normally happen that it's the same thing constantly. Mm -hmm. So I, I figured out, like, my biomechanics, like you know, started working with different people and knock on wood, it's been, uh, probably a year and a half now of no foot injuries. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, in March of last year, I reached out to 
my current coach, and uh, we've been working together since then. Yeah, and so when you guys first started working together, I knew that you uh, kind of did like some shorter, just fun races, kind of get back into the swing of things, and then it was your first marathon with Steve was Frankfurt Marathon. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was incredibly out of shape when I started um, running. I reached out to Steve in March, and I remember I told him I wanted to run the Cherry Blossom race, and I'd only really been running like for maybe a month and mm-hmm. maybe like 30, 40 miles a week. Just like I hadn't been running at all. And he was like, well, you know, you can do it, but we got to be realistic like about how this is going to go. And I was like, no, no, it's fine. You know, I want to race. Uh, so I did. Yeah. And it didn't, <laughs> it went exactly how he said it was going to go. And after that, I was like, I've never just done the whole like, race yourself into shape thing I've always like played it like conservative and maybe if a race didn't go how I wanted I would just like go back buckle down and train but I kind of just decided like the best way for me to get back into racing and just like enjoying it having fun was to simply race a lot so right after the cherry blossom I came home and I I trained for like two more weeks and I ran the half champs, which went about the same as Cherry Blossom did. And after that I ran like, oh man, like Beta Breakers, Boulder Boulder, uh, the Boilermaker, Falmouth. So it was just this host of just like short races that were like totally out of my comfort zone, but something that I needed to do to just, I don't know, show myself like you can race, you're fine. You know, you're going to be able to get back into it. Um, And then Falmouth was the last race I did before finally Uh, buckling down and like starting the marathon segment yeah and then how did you choose Frankfurt after all of that just because I mean you had already raced it before so yeah I think having have had just such a rough uh year and a half I wanted to go back it's so cheesy and I hate cheesy but (laughs) go back to like where the magic happened and in my mind I was like man like Frankfurt was just a day that I will always remember because it, I almost didn't run the race because I just didn't know if I would be ready. And I totally surprised myself. I mean, a four minute PR again, it's up there. The year I ran that race, um, the weather was pretty similar to Houston where it was like absolutely ideal. I mean, I don't even remember the weather. That's how like ideal it was. There was no wind. Like I want to say it was 40 degrees. Um, everything about it. Like it, it was this magical race. (laughs) It really was. So I talked to my agent and we were like, all right, let's, it's the late, about as late as you can go, mm-hmm. like without doing New York City, which I knew I just wasn't ready for. So, um, yeah, I was just like, all right, let's go back to the magic. And so, yeah. you know, we decided on Frankfurt, uh, probably in July. I knew again, right around that time that I would do it. And, um, I, that marathon segment was interesting. I think really the main goal was just to get to the starting line healthy. Like, we didn't push the envelope at all. I probably, I don't know if I ever ran 100 miles, that marathon segment. I just, we stayed in the 90 range and just had to keep it pretty conservative because the whole goal was just get to the starting line healthy and, like, see what happened. So I think for me, running that race, you know, off of, like, just kind of not maybe your most traditional marathon buildup, and being able to still PR by three seconds on this whole, like horribly windy day in Frankfurt um, was huge because I was like, I'm back. And that's again, cheesy, like, oh, I'm back. But I was like, no, I am. And 
you know, I think if you've been hurt for like a year and a half, two years, it's really easy to throw in the towel and just be like, you know, maybe the marathon's not for me and I, I don't want to do this anymore. But um, no, it was like all those hours of cross training, like when I was injured, just kind of paid off. And um, yeah, it was pretty cool to to have a, a good day. Yeah, definitely. And did you use kind of that momentum after Frankfurt where you're kind of like, okay, I'm back. I'm a marathoner. Like this is my event. Is that how you kind of got into Boston or like you were like thinking about Boston? Yeah, I feel like I had unfinished business with Boston just because in 2017 when I ran it, I was pretty disappointed with with how I did. And so um, I knew with like maybe switching around some things in training and like, you know, getting in that hill work and just like callousing your body to that and being healthy and actually being able to run more miles, you know, I was like, oh, I think I have like a chance to to do well there this year. So yeah, I, I found out about Boston um, in about December. And after Frankfurt, I didn't do any workouts or anything for like two months. I just simply ran, which was really cool because I've never done that before. I normally, you know, do a marathon, you take your little break, but within like that next week or two, I was always back, you know, doing workouts pretty quick, but this was totally different. We didn't do that at all. You know, I took my, my week off and then it was simply just running for two months, which I was kind of panicking because, you know, everyone's doing workouts, like, you know, and I just had to tell myself, okay, the race is not until April. Like you have so much time. There's no reason to, you know, you've obviously rushed back after marathons before and it clearly doesn't work because I had that, you know, string of injuries. So after that race, it was mostly just running probably until end of January. Yeah. And I think a lot of people overestimate or underestimate just the break after a marathon, like really taking the time you need to get back into training and not rush it. Yeah. Um, I think, um, I definitely learned that. I mean, when I was younger, I was like, oh, okay, I ran this race, like took my two weeks, like downtime, like, all right, let's start like getting back into it. But I think I really underestimated, like, you're not just recovering from the marathon, but like, you've been putting in so much work for so long, like, you have to take the time to recover. And I see the pe- people make this mistake over and over again is like, you know, yeah, they take their break. And then in the next two weeks, they're back, like, hitting these, like, you know, hard workouts. And at first, they're going okay, but within a month, you know, it's not going so great anymore. And it's simply just like, you haven't had enough time to recover. Yeah, and it's not always only like that physical, it's that mental. Like you've mentally been putting in work day after day and you just need the time to recover. Yeah, and I think now I I do a way better job of like focusing on just like, you know, take the break, enjoy your two weeks and then like just enjoy running for a little bit and not that structure of like, you know, two, three workouts a week. Just take some time. Yeah. And so can you just tell us a little bit about your Boston buildup? Yeah. So I started my buildup in probably the end of December. I think I ran my first 100-mile week the last week of December, but I still wasn't – that wasn't like workouts. That was me just kind of like running. I think over Christmas break, like when I went home to Chicago, was the first time I actually did a workout, and it was like maybe some hills. It was like very light. And then, but I would say the buildup started in December, that mileage. And um, yeah, I mean, it was the most consistent block of training for a marathon I've had probably since my very first marathon in Houston. And um, 
I was running like normally about 100 to 110 miles a week um, with about, normally I would have like two, it would only be two workouts a week. Um, I've done three in the past, but um, this time we just, it was two, like one shorter-ish and then one was pretty long. So I guess it kind of seems more of like a 10-day-ish cycle that way. But um, yeah, so I, uh, you know, had some really consistent um, mileage. The weather in Boulder was actually <laughs> horrific this winter, which um, made things really hard because you. Ne- I never knew where my fitness was because I was running these like outrageous loops that were not like ideal to like fast times at all. And there was like snow and ice and wind. And so, you know, the routes that I was comfortable with that I knew I could run fast on were covered in snow. So all winter I was doing like these ridiculous like hilly road loops. And, um, you know, the times in my workouts, I was kind of nervous because I just didn't feel like the times were very good. But I think you also have to remember, like, the conditions you're running in do matter, like, quite a bit. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, I think I was a little bit nervous um, going into um, – I ran the New York City half in March. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was kind of finally when the weather started to break in Boulder. And it was, like, finally kind of <laughs> decent. And so, um, you know, got in some some decent workouts, went to New York. It was more of a, you know, workout-type practice running on tired legs. I think I ran, like – 113 um in the half and then came back and again the weather started getting better and I got in some more workouts that I was actually kind of able to see where I was I was able to like run on my normal loops and you know practice different pacing and I won't lie like even though I've been at altitude for two years for me like running like longer tempos or like marathon pace for a long time here is it's still really hard for me like Mm -hmm. I definitely struggled running marathon pace for a long time here so but I felt like it towards the end of this the build-up I was noticing like oh I can run pretty close to marathon pace for a while feeling relatively comfortable so I think that was pretty big um just like confidence wise yeah and I know that on your build up to Boston, you started wearing Stride. Yeah, and I just did. gathering data. And was it nice having a remote coach that was able to look at that data? Um, just because when you don't have a coach that's here in person, it's hard for them to gauge like what's the weather like, what's the terrain like. I mean, winter was brutal here in Boulder, Colorado. So can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, using the Stride was huge because. I mean, I'm running these like outrageous loops that I wouldn't normally run, but um, it was cool because maybe my pace was slower, but my power was was great. And so, um, you know, I, I even remember I doing this like steady-ish long run where it was like five miles easy, 15 like steady, which just meant like it needed to be a good effort. It wasn't like a tempo. It was like between six to 6.15 and um, it was over hills. And I remember my coach afterwards being like, oh, like, you know, yeah, the power looked great. Like, you maintained that, like, the whole time going up and down, like, some pretty big uh, inclines. So for, yeah, I think having a remote coach and having that data was was huge because I use Final Surge and my stride just goes, all the data goes straight there. Right. And there's just so many things that someone – 
um, from the outside can look at and analyze. And my coach is a big like science guy. And, you know, a lot of this data is probably totally over my head, but having somebody that knows, you know, the data, how to like read it, it was, I think it was huge and really helpful. Yeah. And I mean, in Boston, you obviously ran a great race. We had you at like 224 watts and you actually averaged that perfectly. So can you just tell us a little bit about like the race in general? Like you said before that that first 10K can either make or break you. Like how did you go about, like what was your tactic? Yeah. So again, like I think I kind of went in not knowing. I literally, I was on the phone with my coach the day before and I was like, I just don't know where I'm at. Like, I really don't know where I'm at. Like, it's just, it's been a hard winter and, you know, I think I'm fit, but I don't know. And he was like, you know, um, on a flat course, I could probably give you a better, like, gauge of where you are, you're at. But this time, like, you just got to go and compete. Like, this isn't about time. This is about being in the top 10 to get the Olympic standard. So I was like, all right. So yeah, the first, I want to say it was the first two miles actually played into my favor great because um we were I think we were the first two miles were on like 540 which is like my marathon pace I've run in Frankfurt and it was so comfortable and I was like oh this is this is great this is like my marathon pace and um but at mile three there was um you know there's the bottle station but there was a huge move that was made which is really unfortunate that it happened at the bottle station because there's already so much chaos you know that first one people are getting their drinks and jostling, but uh, there was a huge move and I was table nine. So by the time I, which was the second to last table, got my bottle, there was like all of a sudden this like 15 to 20 second gap. And I was like, oh my gosh, am I just like struggling? Like, because I'm like, just grab my bottle and maybe we're keeping the same pace and I'm just like tired. But then I looked at my watch and my third mile was, 528 and Oof. the women were a good 15 seconds ahead of me at that point so I was like man okay that was that was actually a surge so I was pretty nervous because that's exactly what happened in uh 2017 when I ran there was a breakaway at three and I ran the next 23 by myself which was so brutal to just mm-hmm. run by myself but so I was like all right don't panic don't panic um And, uh, you know, I just kind of got back into the rhythm and, uh, luckily there was uh, a woman from Ireland and another U S runner who we kind of just formed this three person group for the next, probably, I mean, I ran by myself probably till mile five. And then I was with them until about 15 and we were just kind of like clicking off splits, kind of just like sharing the lead. I actually... I shouldn't even say clicking off splits because I never looked at my watch the, that entire race minus that third mile. Yeah. But for me, I was like, okay, like this feels, this feels like about like marathon effort. Like I'm not going to worry about the pace. Today's all about just getting in the top 10. So I didn't know how many women were in front of me at that point because such a huge group seemed to break away. Mm-hmm. But I knew I had to be in like probably 15th, 16th, which afterwards that's actually exactly where I was, I think. So yeah, I ran with the women until um, about 15 miles, and I knew um, from 15 to 16, there was a pretty significant downhill, and I pride myself on being, like, a really good downhill runner. Like, I might not be you a good uphill, downhill runner. but I can, like, crush the downhill without, like, really being in pain. Like, it's, it's for some reason, it's, like, my strength is downhill running. So I knew I could um, – 
I can make a big move at 15, you know, with that downhill. So I did. I uh, I pulled away. And again, like I had no idea how close they were behind me. I just knew that I was gaining momentum. And I mean, listening to other runners, you can tell when people are starting to like struggle. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is my chance. So I made the move. And um, in the distance, I saw two women uh, kind of coming back to me. And I was like, oh, I know that you know, you turn, you make that right-hand turn at the firehouse and it's, it's hills for the next four miles. So I was like, all right, these, these women are coming back to me clearly. And we haven't even hit like the hardest part of the race yet. So, um, I think I passed one person right by the firehouse and then another, as I was like climbing the hill at like, you know, mile 20. So, from 15 to the finish, I actually didn't run with anybody, but like you're gaining momentum as you're picking people off. So I think in my mind, I was telling myself like, okay, you don't know what place you're in, but you have to clearly like people that went with that earlier move are struggling a bit. You just have to like stay on it. So, um, yeah, I made it through the Hills pretty well, uh, a lot better than in 2017. Like this time around, I actually felt like there was more downhill than uphill, which the last time I ran it, I did not feel that way at all. It felt like just a mountain every time. So yeah, I mean, I think at mile 25, um, someone told me I was in 11th and I was like, oh dear God, like I can't be in 11th. Like I have to be at least 10th. And again, I saw some Kenyan runners in front of me that were starting to struggle. And I, I passed one woman right, um, by the small underpass, like towards, your the last turn you're gonna do and then in the distance it's funny like the things we think when we're racing but I saw these bright green socks and I was like I I didn't even realize it was another runner because clearly I'm like tired and I was like oh my gosh there's another person like that looks like they're coming back to me and I only have like maybe 800 meters left so I made the turn on Boylston or actually on Hereford and then I turned on Boylston and you know you can see the finish line but I was like picking up the pace and this green socked runner is slowing down. So I was like, oh my gosh, like maybe the people that were telling me what place I was in was wrong. And like, what if I, what if I'm not in 10th? I have to pass like one more person. So like, it was probably the only time in a marathon I've ever passed someone with like, what, 30 seconds left of the race. And uh, yeah, I, um, I passed her and then I, I crossed the line and there were so many mats. I felt like that, like the first thing I asked someone was, I was like, am I done? Like, did I cross the right <laughs> line? And they were like, yeah, you're done. You and wanted I was like, to count yeah. at that point. I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. And I, I could see the clock. I mean, I, again, I had no idea what time I was running. I didn't look at my watch the whole race. And then in the distance, I could see like, you know, 220 something. And I was like, oh, like I wasn't running as slow as I thought. And then I think I crossed and it was like, 2.30.07, which yeah. I was like, it would have been, I know I could have made seven seconds up somewhere in the race just to get under 2.30, but at that point, it honestly didn't matter because it's, yeah. you just needed to get the place that day. So yeah, I mean, that was almost a five-minute Boston PR, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, you were there at the finish. I was excited Going crazy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think I crossed. I saw, you know, my agent and... Uh, you know, I saw you and it was just like this whole like great moment where you don't get that that often. So you just have to like be so appreciative the days in the marathon it works out because I've seen like, you know, you can have your best buildup of your life and you get into the race and 
it could be your worst marathon. There's just like, it doesn't always make sense. There's no so guarantees. There's no guarantees. No, like I've had my best buildups with my worst races and mm-hmm. some of my like not so greatest buildups. And then, you know, I've run my best. So um, I'm, I'm super grateful with how it turned out. And uh, it was a, it was a special day for sure. Yeah. And I mean, top 10 at a world marathon major, like you have that next to your name now. Yeah. And I think being 11th, um, in uh 2017 but also very behind like 10th place they were probably a good three four minutes in front of me I think just making it doesn't seem like a lot being like oh I was 11th and then I was 9th but it just was like night and day it was completely different and I think that was pretty big to to just get that finally. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like your training leading up to this Boston. I mean, you obviously knew what to expect going into the race, which always gives you the upper hand, but definitely like working on some of those hills and some downhill running and um, just making sure that you're getting the most out of your training. So when you get to the course, you know what to expect. Yeah. I think I suffered like every day on hills <laughs> in my buildup. Like even if it was just an easy run, like I didn't go on the flat route. I was like, no, you're, you're going to go really slow but you're going to go really slow over the hills, like, and you're just going to suck it up and, and deal with it. Yeah, I mean, that's a great way to end your spring season of 2019. But, like, yeah. what's next? Like, where are I we going to expect to see big you? Question. <laughs> it's a question for me, too. No, I, um, I'm going to do – I'm going to, like, get totally out of my comfort zone and do quite a few shorter races okay. uh, this spring and summer just because – I um I haven't come close to my my 10k PR. I actually haven't even tried. I haven't run like really many 10k's since 2015, but I ran 3220 on the track that year and I haven't come close to that speed and I got to get that speed back. So I think it's going to be a lot of um you know races that are way out of my comfort zone. My first race back will be um the mini 10k uh in New York City on June 8th and that's just going to be like a rip the band-aid get back out there. I, I actually just did my first workout today, which it's the 14th of May. So um, I'm just relying on marathon There's strength. No and, you know, I'm going to get in a bunch of shorter, fun summer races. I'd like to at some point get in like a quality half marathon just because I have not mastered that distance at all. And it's funny for me, the half, I feel like I have to be in really great 10K shape to run a strong half because it is that you're so uncomfortable the whole time, you know. It's not – you don't feel – it's not marathon pace where it feels, like, so natural and easy for a while. Like, the half just hurts the whole time. So kind of what I said with the marathon, like, I don't want to run another half until I actually feel like I can, like, you know, be where I want to be. So I'll take some time to do that and then kind of deciding on if I want to do a fall marathon or not. Like, I have the standard, so there's no – um, you don't, I don't have to do it, but any, the more experience you can get running the marathon, obviously the better you're going to be. And the trials are pretty late. It's almost basically not till March 1st. So if you did do a marathon, you would still have, you know, say you didn't start until no, like gearing up again until November. That's, that's four months. So 
we're kind of just going to play by ear, see how it goes. Yeah, well, we're excited to see you out there. I mean, summer racing is coming upon us. So it is. <laughs> it's time to hurt again. We're excited to see you rip that Band-Aid off on shoot it off. <laughs> yes. But yeah, but no, seriously, thank you so much for just joining us today. And um, yeah, I mean, the Stride community is supporting you and we love that. Uh, love Stride. Yeah, <laughs> we love that you were able to use the data. Your coach was able to look at it and hopefully gain some insight into your next marathon buildup or wherever your racing takes you this summer slash fall. I'll be wearing my stride. There I wore it in Boston and uh, I don't plan on stopping. There you go. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. And uh, yeah, well, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah.